Well, good morning, everyone. Again, don't you just love kids? We are finishing a four-part series today that all stems from Isaiah 9-6, and it's part of our series called Foretold. And it all roots back to, to this verse in Isaiah 9-6, where the prophet writes, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, if you've missed any of the last three weeks, I just want to fill you in to get us to this point. Three weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And we took that mandate as Christ followers, what does that mean for us to be peacemakers? And then the week after that, we talked about the kind of wise counsel that is beyond our comprehension. And the role we play in decisions that we make and decisions we help each other with when we are counseling each other using biblical wisdom. That example of wise counsel. And last week we learned about our God, our Messiah, as the mighty God, the mighty King. And we talked about how the fact that you can look back over the course of human history and in every other case where there has been a king for his kingdom, he has sent others to die for that kingdom. But this is the one king who sacrificed himself for his subjects. That's a mighty God. And today we're going to finish our series talking about Jesus foretold as the everlasting father. The everlasting father. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite writers. And if you've ever read any of his books, you will understand why. He's, he's, he's a beautiful writer. He really brings the faith into common sense language. And he just came out with a new book. If you're still Christmas shopping for a loved one, I would highly recommend picking this book up for them as a gift. But in this new book, Philip Yancey wrote that if he could sum up the entire Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, he says, if I could sum up the entire Bible in one sentence, it would simply be this. God gets his family back. I thought that was pretty cool. God gets his family back. This is a very personal message for me this morning, and it's one of the reasons why I saved this one to be the last of this series. The truth that God is an everlasting father, that the Messiah foretold to come by Isaiah would be both God and man. And one of his roles would be to be that of our Father. And we're going to explore that through Scripture this morning. What does that mean? What does it look like? God is our everlasting Father. I have two personal illustrations that have always stayed with me in my mind since about 20 years ago when each of them happened. And each of them taught me about who fathers are on a very human level and what fathers do. One of them was in the fall of 1994. My mind is funny. I, I remember some of the most specific things and some of the most obscure moments, and they just kind of stay with me. And I remember it was the fall of 1994, and I was going to take my grandma and grandpa up to Brookings. My aunt and uncle, Lynn and Nancy, they had just moved to Brookings um, that, that previous winter, and I was going to take my grandparents up to see them that weekend. But Friday night, I had a date. I had a date. And so I was student teaching at the time. And so <clears throat> I took my date to uh, the North Heelan football game because I was student teaching at North. And for anyone under 30, you have to understand two parts of this story. Number one, this was before Starbucks and Caribou Coffees. And number two, there weren't any cell phones. And you'll understand that why in just a second. 
So after the football game, we decided to go down to this old coffee shop that was on Pierce Street in downtown Sioux City. I can't remember the name of it, but they had live music. We met up with some friends, and we sat around, and we just all talked and had a great time that evening. But then I looked up at the clock, and I realized that it was well past midnight, and I had told my grandma and grandpa that I would come home and stay with them that night so we could get up early and go to Brookings. And so I'm 35 minutes from Whiting, and I've got to drop off my date to her dorm, and then i got to get home. And I'm pretty sure it was well after 2 o'clock by the time I got back. And I neglected to tell them what time I was coming. I just knew that I was going to be in at some point. I'm 22. I can just slip in, go to the basement, go to sleep. And for those of you who have ever broken a curfew when you were teenagers, you remember the feeling of pulling up to the house and going to that house and seeing lights on. And there were lights on at 2 o'clock in the morning at my grandparents' house. So I went in the house, and there sat my grandpa in his chair in the kitchen, and he didn't say a word. He just gave me that look. Now, Grandma was at the kitchen table, and she was doing a lot of talking, I remember, at the time. I don't remember everything she said, but she did a lot of the talking. The point was this. I, I I kept them up, and they were worried. They didn't know where I was. And all I had to do was get that look from my grandfather. And I felt really bad about that, and so at the end of the weekend, first of all, I thought, I might be the first 22-year-old person, if I go back to my grandparents, I'm going to be grounded. So I don't know if I was even going to go back and spend another night. But I remember, and I don't remember exactly how it was said, but I do remember the message that I received from my grandma when when I told her about it. I said, I'm really sorry. And she said, well, you know, Grandpa, if he thinks you're going to be home and you're not, he's going to stay up till you're home. That's a father. And that was the first time, I think, where really the light bulb went off in my head. That's the burden of fatherhood. That's the burden of caring and loving for your children. You'll stay up until they're home. You won't sleep until you know they're safe. So that's an image I want you to stay with as we work through this morning. The second thing I want to share with you was another moment that happened just a few months before that in the summer of 1993. That was the summer when I was adopted. Um, my dad, Byron Thelander, ad- adopted me. It became official. I changed my name to Thelander. And I'll never forget that day that I was officially adopted. And I'll, I'll never forget the note that my dad gave me. He just simply said this, Jeff, I'm just honored to give you my name. Simple as that. Now, for a small businessman whose name is on a truck that goes all over the place, that name is his credibility. That name is his honor. That name is his whole reputation. And the idea that he would give me his name was the greatest gift that he could ever give for me and to me. And so it is that thing that I want you to think about as I share with you Ephesians 1.5. Because when we accept Jesus in our lives, Ephesians 1.5, Paul says this, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. You see, when we find God, when God finds us, we're adopted by him. And our adoption means that we have the full favor of our Father. We have the gift of his presence in this life, and we have the gift of his presence in life after our time on this earth. Now, I tell these stories because, to the best of my human brain can understand and comprehend, there are character traits and qualities that come with our fathers. These are traits such as provision and sacrifice and protection 
And yes, always seeking the best and seeking the safety of their children. And to understand that God the Father, that God the Father who was prophesied in Isaiah, we have to understand his nature as demonstrated through Jesus. And I want to again put your focus, I gave you this verse last week, I want to give it to you again if you missed it. It's Hebrews 1.3. There are so many, I'd say that we could live every verse in the Bible to its fullest. It would be a wonderful gift. But this is one that we just have to constantly come back to. It's Hebrews 1.3. We need to learn this and live this verse. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And hear this, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You see, if we want to see God, we see him through Jesus. That's what Hebrews 1.3 teaches us. So Jesus, our Messiah, tells us about the nature of God our Father in three separate parables in Luke 15. These are not in your notes. We're going to get to your notes in a moment. But I think this is important to lay this foundation. If you have your Bibles or a Bible in front of you, if you go to Luke chapter 15, I would encourage you to read this entire chapter over again this week. And I want to give you a little background for it, a little bit of context. The context is in the very first two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. He is bringing all kinds of people in. And they are listening to his message, listening to his hope. But the Pharisees, verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love that word muttered. It always has a negative connotation, doesn't it? They muttered. This man welcomes sinners and, wow, eats with them? <laughs> That's the tone that we could take as we imagine these Pharisees talking and discussing, who is this Jesus? He's, he, he's consorting with all of these wretched people. What's going on? And I want you to see how Jesus responds in three separate parables in Luke 15 because it tells us everything we need to know about the Father. Jesus, first of all, says this in response to these Pharisees. He's going to talk about lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And I want to tie how those three themes work together. First of all, Jesus says in verse 4, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He later goes on and talks about a lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me that I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's a father pursuing, isn't it? I'm going to leave you with this last one. It's right out of Luke 15. He finally gets to his third example. He teaches the parable of the lost son. And I'm just going to go to verse 31, where the father says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
we had to celebrate and be glad. He's explaining to his other son who did everything he was supposed to do and he's mad because the prodigal son came home and he's being treated with a banquet and he's explaining to his angry son. He says, everything you already have that I have is yours, but your brother came home and we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. There's no coincidence that Jesus gives us three examples, three parables to teach us about the nature of our Father in heaven. Number one, every lost person matters to God, every single one of them. And number two, when someone is lost and then they're found, there is great cause for great celebration. We see our Father in that way. And see, see, finding the lost or dispensing grace is kind of messy business. It would be much easier to be like the Pharisees of Jesus' day to whom that he was responding to in this chapter. You see, they were so caught up in their laws and in their rituals and in their power that they established through this religious organization that they lost sight of the lost. They lost sight of the outsiders. And so they circled up in their holy huddles and they worshiped and lived in a way that kept them in and kept others out. And Jesus comes along and he starts tearing that down brick by brick by brick. Jesus said this is not the way to live and that's not the way to love. And his earthly life showed it. And we read about it throughout the Gospels. This is the celebration that we have when Jesus arrives here in the form of a baby. You see, Jesus makes it very clear throughout the Gospels, when you follow me, when you call me Father, you have a responsibility to have a heart for lost people. And I know that many times that is messy, but it is always rooted in the same love that he showed us when we were lost, the kind of love that he took to the cross for our sins, for my sins and for your sins. So now we're going to look at our notes. And now we're going to get into sort of the rest of this message here this morning. And I want to give you one quick context to the notes of John 14, 6 through 12. Thomas asks Jesus, because this is taking place right during the Last Supper, and Thomas asks Jesus, how can we know, you, how can we know the way? And in John 14, 6 through 12, here's what Jesus says. Here's how he responds. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty extraordinary statement, isn't it? No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. If you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to 
the Father. I want to establish the fact this morning that Jesus is Son of Man, Son of God, just like we talked about last week. He is part of the Father. And so there are three things we gather from this, three pieces of good news, three truths that I want us to take as we move into this Christmas week. Number one, because of this birth, because of what we're about to celebrate on Thursday, God's love and goodness toward us will be eternal. His love is eternal. It never ends. It never ends. And that's a promise of a presence that we can turn to. In Hebrews 13, 5, we read, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The second great promise that we get is that our glory will be eternal. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. Anybody going through light and momentary troubles right now? Maybe some heavy and serious troubles right now? Paul tells us that as we work our way through those with the grace of God, there's a day coming when eternal glory will outweigh all of our troubles. I want to tell you about a momentary trouble that befell my middle son yesterday. His buddy Caleb is here. They, uh, they played in a basketball tournament up in Sioux Falls yesterday, and this, this was some really high-level competition. And they played this team from Sioux Falls that was really strong. And it's a back-and-forth game. They really played well. They were ahead the whole game. But as any coach will tell you, you got to play the last two minutes. And so little by little, the team they were playing kind of chipped, chipped away, chipped away. And pretty soon at the end of the game, you've got a couple missed free throws, a couple big shots, and now they're ahead by one point. And there's 15 seconds to go. And the team they're playing comes down and they miss a shot. They get a rebound. They throw it up. It goes in. There's five seconds to go. Coach calls a timeout. They run a play. They get a wide open shot eight feet away. It rims in. rims out at the buzzer. Lost by one point. Phenomenal game. But as you can imagine, you saw a bunch of 11-year-old kids. They do what a lot of times you do when you're done. They pull up their jersey to their mouth. And they just want to kind of hide inside themselves. And I'll never forget this afternoon. Beth was sitting right next to me. You saw a bunch of little boys. The minute this heartache happened, the minute this pain hit them, they went looking for their dad. And there I was sitting in the, in the crowd, and Joey comes up, and he's got his shirt kind of up above his mouth, and, and he just laid right into my arms. And he didn't move. And there was a bunch of weeping little kids. My buddy Matt sitting right next to me. He's holding his kid. And I, and I told Joey, I said, listen, this hurts right now, but you're going to be better for it having gone through it. And so a dad does what a dad does. You pick up your hurting son and you help them get to the next game. You help them get to the next thing. And I remember, and I had this gigantic head-imprinted sweat stain in the corner of my body. But I remember the feeling sitting there as a dad of my son just laying there completely weightless. I mean, that's just how much his body was exhausted, and he just literally collapsed in my arms. And I can't imagine to him maybe how big I felt at that moment, or maybe how steady at least I felt, because he could just lay there completely limp, and he had a foundation there to lay on and lean on. And I keep thinking about God, our Father, when we go through trials and troubles in our lives, and I think, 
what kind of God do we have, this kind of Father who we can just lay prostrate to when we're struggling with something? We can just bring it to him, and he sits there steady, and he just holds us. He holds us. And he tells us maybe something similar to what I was trying to tell my son yesterday. It's a trouble that we're going to get through. You're going to grow from this, and I'm going to pick you up, and we're going to get you back on your feet, and we're going to go on to the next thing. That's the kind of God the Father we have, walking through with us every single step of our lives. Whatever we encounter in this world, we have this assurance that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, our glory in Christ, our Father, will be eternal. It's eternal. And finally, number three, through the Father, our salvation is eternal. I want to share just three verses with you. Once made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's Hebrews 5.9. In Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And finally, in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that amazing? Our connection to God means nothing can snatch us away. We stay rooted in the vine, like we've talked about so many other times. So here's the application I want to give you as we bring this to a close today. I want to go back to John 14. I want to go back to that part of John 14 where Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And I want you to simply replace that with this. If you really know and you put your own name in there, whoever that is, I'll use Beth. If you really know Beth, if you really know Jeff, if you really know Vincent, if you really know Tim, fill in your name. You will know our Savior as well. You will know our Savior. You see, a mature Christ follower, where we're all moving to with the grace of God, a mature Christ follower reflects who Jesus was foretold to be. He reflects all of the things that we've been studying in the last four weeks, and each one of us, to the best of our human ability, with the grace of God, we are all attempting to follow that same model. Number one, you'll know us as peacemakers. You'll know us as the first who are going to reach out and try to create peace in our world, in our communities, in our families. Number two, you will know us to be wise counselors. Now, we may not have the wisdom that goes beyond comprehension, like the Bible describes that word to mean, but you can count on when you know us as mature Christ followers that we will offer wisdom out of love and we will offer wisdom out of our knowledge of the word and our care for others because we emulate Jesus. Now, there is only one God, as we talked about last week. So you won't know us as God, but you will know who our God is. You will know who our God is by how we live every single day. And finally, you will know us. You will know our everlasting Father. Now, what does that mean to live that out? What does that mean to apply being an everlasting Father in our own lives? I know for some of you here today, you have memories or maybe you still have a relationship with your father or a grandfather that looks like the grandfather and the adopted father that I described today. And I want you to just say, uh, just count that as a huge blessing. If you had that kind of relationship or if you have that kind of a relationship. But for others, you may have had a, a more complicated relationship 
with your father. And that could sometimes mean a complicated image or a complicated relationship when you think of God as your father. I want to leave this message and this series with this hope and this truth. The Bible is very clear. When you find God or when God finds you, two very miraculous things happen. Scripture assures us that the water of baptism fills you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your sins are washed away. A new life begins. Clean slate when you give your life to God. And God adopts you as his son or daughter. And with adoption comes the full name and full favor and full love of our heavenly Father. If you're far from God this morning, for whatever reasons they may be, you have his word to remind you that he, God, is constantly searching for you, especially in those moments when you're lost. And if you are near to God this morning or in that stage of your life right now, here's what I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to pray daily for how our Father in heaven can use us, how he can use you, how he can use me to help lost people. You see, we're his red cross here on earth as long as we're on this earth. And the church is his red cross until he returns. That's what we're part of. That's why we invested so much time in building a community and continuing to do so. We are part of the work that we're doing here on earth to find and help and rescue lost people. That's the heart of the Father. And it could look something like this. I've learned this lesson in 20 years of working with kids. And I can tell you, almost to a kid, the ones who struggle the most are sometimes the ones who most desperately need a father. I just shared this. Al and I were just talking the other day. We were helping a, helping a kid who was really having a hard time. And, and, and sometimes we, we just kind of looked at each other and we recognized, you know, sometimes we just have to be a father to the fatherless. Sometimes they need that. You see, it's hard to pursue what life has to offer when you don't have a father who's pursuing you. And to get inside the mind of someone who is missing that element is one of the key things that I think we're called to do as people of faith. Because you know what? Those kids who grow up without that presence are going to take that into their adult lives as well. We need to be, as best we can, that gap filler for people who are missing that in their lives. The opportunity to be fathers to the fatherless. Dads and moms... Grandmas and grandpas, this Christmas week, make sure that you take steps to have your families back. Whether it's all together, whether it has to be just in communication, make sure you're taking time to have your families back. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus came. There are two things that every child should know, and it's regardless of age. So I could be a 43-year-old child. This could be for my 6-year-old daughter. This could be for an 80-year-old person. There's two things we constantly need to hear from our fathers. Number one, I love you. And number two, I believe in you. Those are the two things we have to constantly hear and constantly convey. I love you and I believe in you. If God didn't both love us and believe in us, he would not have sent his son. And that's the Christmas message, isn't it? Jesus came. He came. There's a verse in John 10.10 that I've always found very intriguing. I'm going to share it with you this morning to close. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
And I've always been intrigued by this verse because it gives us two very clear options, two very clear paths for which to live our lives. We can live our lives apart from God, and we can live in a world that is reflected by the the evil devices of sin and Satan, and that's the kind of world that can steal, kill, and destroy our souls. Or we can live as part of God, being adopted into him, and our lives can have fullness and richness beyond our imaginations. That that gift of the Christmas miracle, that gift of Jesus being born, that's the gift that's offered to every single one of us. Every single one. I'm going to ask Josh to come up as I just finish with this closing thought. You see, God saw a planet and a people that he cared for deeply. And he saw this planet spinning out of control. And he's a just God who could not allow this separation from a sinful people. Yet he loved us enough to not abandon us as much as we deserved it then when Jesus came and as much as we still deserve it now. He will not abandon us. So God wraps his son in swaddling clothes and his son was miraculously given birth to a peasant virgin. You saw it play out beautifully today by those those little kids on that video. You heard it sung by our children here in the church. This child escaped the wrath of Herod. He grew up and in his time on this earth, He taught fearlessly, he healed miraculously, and he loved relentlessly. Jesus, our Messiah that we've seen foretold throughout this entire last month, taught us this example and told us as his followers that we are commanded to teach and love with the same ferocity that he did. Jesus told his followers then, and he tells us now, that he is the way to God that he is both the Son of God and the Son of Man, and he is part of the Father God. And you see, Jesus died an atoning death, and he did this for everyone's wrongdoing. He did this for me and my sins. He did it for you and yours. And then he conquered death for us when he rose from the tomb. And for those that follow him, for those that commit their lives to him, for those that call him Messiah and Savior, for those who call on him as Lord, He assures us everlasting life. All of the favors and love a father gives his children, and he will not rest until we're home. That's an everlasting father that we celebrate now. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for sending us your son, a son who took on our sins a son who gave freely of himself for our salvation, father who paid the ultimate price on the cross. This week in all these moments of busyness and and clutter and, and movement, I just pray we can find some quiet moments still this week to take a deep breath and pause and reflect on the absolute miracle that your son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, who he is, and who he offers us. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen.